0: Good morning and Merry Christmas. Really good to see you guys this morning. Um, this, this is one of my favorite times of the year. Um, I know that's not necessarily true for everybody though. I know sometimes this time of the year can bring both sorrow and joy or a mixture of things. And I just uh, come to you this morning and recognize that. I know it's our fourth Sunday of Advent and I looked up just the word Advent because I didn't know exactly what it meant. But it just simply means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. Time of waiting and preparation. And I also learned that there is a word of the year. Did you know there's a word of the year? You know what it is? Existential. Apparently, it's based on how many Google searches are done on the word. <laughs> and uh, you know, existential is kind of that exploration of meaning and purpose and why am I here and who am I and, and just exploring what that is about. So it's a time of waiting, preparation, seeking, searching. And as we enter this season, we're going to enter the story of Mary who had been given a very important announcement. So let's take a look at Luke one26 to 26-38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, And mary said behold i am the servant of the lord let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her a barren woman and a virgin woman both pregnant that would be like me coming to you this morning and saying guess what you guys i have some great news i am pregnant and Bill's looking at me like, yeah, right. <laughs> but that, that is on the barren part and the old part. Um, would that be good news? I don't know. Um, but anyway, this, Jesus, the, Mary was given this announcement about Jesus coming. And it, she too was kind of going, is this good news or bad news? And she was reassured that this is good news. And really the announcement for Jesus' birth came much earlier than the one just to marry. So we're going to go back to Isaiah 7.14, where it says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, a lot of you know this, but at the end of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, from the start to when Matthew was written, is about a 400-year period of silence where not much was happening talk about a pregnant pause you know what a pregnant pause is right it's when you're watching american idol and they get to the last two contestants and they say and we're going to find out who the next american idol is and then they go to the commercial and then they make you wait. And then they come back. And they go through it again. And they say, and the next American Idol is. And they show faces of different people. And they show each of the contestants and how they're feeling. And they scan the room. And they wait. And there's music. And then they finally give the announcement. And everybody celebrates except for one person. <laughs> they don't ever show them. They usher them off stage. Um, But a pregnant pause is like a, it's like the silence and the waiting is meant to create anticipation and wonder and curiosity. And the announcement, there's another one in Isaiah that's in uh, chapter 9, verse 2, that is a little more of, maybe more of a hint, maybe not quite so clear. And it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness... On them has light shone. And the hints go further back, all the way to Genesis. And in Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light.'" and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. I get this picture, like God is like a parent giving hints about the gift and the surprise that he has. And uh, you know how a parent will go, I have a surprise for you, but I can't tell you what it is. I love surprises. (laughs) um, Bill can't keep a secret if his life depended on it. (laughs) I love surprises. I love to like drop hints. I picture God like dropping hints through all of time. I've got a surprise for you. Little hints all through scripture. Bible scholars suggest that there are over 300 prophecies about the coming of Christ. There is a book called Science Speaks by Peter Stoner and Robert Newman where they discuss the statistical improbability of one man, whether intentionally or deliberately, fulfilling even just eight of these prophecies. So they figured it out and did some math and they said the chance of this happening would be one in ten to the power of seventeen. So if you're a math person, I think that means 17 zeros behind the one, whatever that is called. So here's the illustration they gave that helped visualize the magnitude of such odds. They said, if you take 10 to the power of 17, 10, 10 to the power of 17, silver dollars, and you spread them out over the state of Texas, they would be two feet deep. And then you take a guy and you blindfold him you mark one of the silver dollars and mix them all up. And you say to the blind guy, you can go anywhere in the state and go see if you can find that one silver dollar. He said, that's the, that's the odds of fulfilling even just eight of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled that speaks to who he was as the Messiah. So as I read the story of Mary, i I always think of like what what is God like and you know who is he and what are the things I just really like about God. And here's some of those things that I'm kind of mentioning that I think God is like. He likes to announce things, kind of hint at things, but he also likes to be mysterious, create anticipation. He likes surprise in unexpected places. Like in the barren and a virgin Unlikely, unexpected. Uh, Bill and I just went to visit our two grandchildren, one that we just met for the first time. And Brett, his daughter, their mom, uh, said, You know, I can't tell Kyle, that's a girl, I, I can't tell Kyle that you're going to be coming like a month out. Because she's looking out the window going, Where are they? Are they here yet? Are they coming? Are they, you know, so, you know, a month to a child is like a Year and so she says, I have to wait like five minutes before you're coming and then pick you up at the airport, and then there you are, (laughs) you know. So, because she has a hard time just sitting with that kind of uh, time, God likes to wait for just the right moment for such a time as this. I don't know all the reasons why, why then, why, why not like a week later in Genesis, why not, why all those thousands of years when generation just lost hope at times and it kept going and you know why so long um but it makes me curious that god has a purpose in the space in the void in the space in the dark is where he creates it's where he likes to make things and he likes to create out of nothing he enters those places that are without form and void There's a verse in Psalm 51.10 that says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And I learned from a Bible scholar somewhere that that word create is the same word that is used in Genesis of create, which is like creating out of nothing. So create in me a clean heart where there is not one. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. When God sees space, it's like a blank canvas on which he likes to paint. God loves to show up in the impossible. There's a few examples that I think are kind of wired into nature. And you know, when we look at creation, it seems to be that it's, there's little hints of this message all around. Think about the seasons of the year. We're in winter. We literally have more dark. About 4:45, when I'm walking home from work, it's dark. It's cold. It's uh, bleak. You know, not much is alive. You know, the trees look dead. The, there's no flowers, and it's just a time that people tend to like to kind of go and hibernate a little bit. I had a client last week call the months from January to March the dungeon. And it felt to him like that's the three months that feel like a dungeon. But winter's part of the process. It, you know, when we get in winter, we're not necessarily panicking that spring is not going to show up, that summer is not going to come. Um, some parts of the world have a whole lot of winter, and some have barely any. Uh, but, but there is, it's part of the cycle, part of the creation process. You look at the stars in the sky. You know, down here, Bill and I live in the city, and when we look up at the stars at night, we can see maybe two, because (laughs) those are two really bright ones. And then um, I drive up to Evergreen, like last night when we did the service up there, and the stars just pop. They are just brilliant. And it's so beautiful up there, and it's like the darker the dark, the brighter the stars, and it's so beautiful. Think about every 24-hour period. Most of us look forward to this, but it's called sleep, where we go into a dark place and we go to sleep and we rest and our body rejuvenates and we wake up and it's part of what we do in our life cycle. You know, God created the world in six days and on the Sabbath he rested and did nothing. Probably just sat around and looked in enjoyment about all the things you know, farmers, you know, Peter mentioned his grandparents, farm, grandpa. I had a grandpa on the farm too, in Nebraska, by the way. <laughs> oh, anybody else have a grandpa on the farm in Nebraska? One, two, three, four. <laughs> Man, that, that is great. Um, but a lot of times, farmers will uh, have a piece of land that they don't do anything with, because they're letting it kind of rejuvenate and get its nutrients back, and it's, you know, then they'll rotate the land around and plant on that later. So it's this thing about kind of laying rest and allowing space and entering into that space or darkness is part of the journey. Jolene and I, Jolene over here, and I for the past year have been doing this training over in Golden, and it's called Gestalt. And it's a German word, and it means shape, form, or figure gestalt and so we've been doing this training. it's a training for therapists or coaches or really actually we even have a cello player who's taken the training which i think is pretty cool um so the best way i can describe gestalt is this it takes like all the stuff in here and brings it out here and kind of forms a relationship between the parts of who i am so you know if i had a, a part of me that um maybe was hurt by somebody, a friend, but I also love this friend, there's like two parts of me that we would pull out, and we'd have those parts start to relate to each other. Um, So it's an interesting, mysterious, creative, you never quite know what's going to unfold, but... There is such a mix of people in this group. You know, some are Christians, some are complete atheists and everything in between. And the thing that I am kind of astonished, but cool, is that the light just keeps showing up, whether they say they believe in God or not. Um, They go into the dark places. We go into the dark places. We go into those empty places and something starts to emerge, starts to unfold. It's pretty cool. So I have this quote about something, a phrase that's used in Gestalt, and they call it the fertile void. And here's what it is. It's the ability to stay in a state of not knowing and to trust in the flow of life that we call God. It's fundamental to Gestalt theory and practice, as is the belief that the creative energy, again, that we call God, flows from experiencing the emptiness of being. And that new understanding manifests continually. Sooner or later, we all arrive at a period in our life where there are no clear answers. And when the only thing we are aware of is the certainty of our not knowing, this place is the fertile void, which can be our greatest personal development. This is a unique opportunity to reconnect to the deeper meaning of being ourselves without polarizing opposing forces. Here, we may connect with our own core, which can take in all that is and from which place the creative self without form can emerge. What happens in those empty places? What happens in those places where there's void in your life? What, what do you or did you experience in some of those places in your own life? What was that experience like for you? I asked our staff and Bill and a couple others and myself about, you know, like, what, what is that like? What happens? You know, sometimes these events are kicked off by the loss of a job or a, a death or a divorce or a trauma or, you know, something that is very difficult, a health crisis perhaps. Um, but what happens in here? What is happening? So there could be, you know, I could ask all of you, we could come up with probably hundreds of answers and they would all be right. Uh, But I asked that group of people, and I have a little picture that's just a little hodgepodge of some of the answers that they said. Makes me cry when I never used to. Messy but loved. Could see my ego that wants to create. Terrified. Who am I? Boiled out my pride, let go of control, experienced grace, I am still here, opened me up for a miracle, empathy for other people, anger when I never let myself be, entitlement, Hold me closer to God, surrender, grieving. I thought I was losing my mind, encounter with the Holy Spirit. But a mixture, quite a mixture. And if I were to kind of summarize, you know what, what that is, you know if I were to summarize a few categories of what's happening there, there's something dying or being exposed, or carved away, or cut back. There's a, there's a space being made that's empty, or quiet, or no answers, or uncertainty. And in this space, there's a life being born. There's something new emerging that is filling up that space. And there's a light that starts to shine in the darkness. And there's a relationship that's formed. A relationship with myself, parts of myself, A relationship with God, if I invite someone into those places, a relationship in a whole new way uh, with another person in a way that I have, I have never tapped into. I was probably 35 before I really invited someone into that dark empty place with me and I think the healing went way deeper when i could be in that place with someone in connection with someone than when i was just kind of going in my little cave and doing that all alone while god is everywhere he is most intimate in here in me and in you he is as close as every breath every thought every emotion every cell in your body there's a relationship between my thoughts and emotions and body I think, in a very similar way, the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In that relationship, we make contact. We make a connection, a relationship. And in that relationship, I find that God speaks to us very personally. Uh, sometimes when I was in my darkest place, I would find, I would be driving down the road, and out of my mouth would just start to come a song, and it was just a simple childlike song, Jesus loves Me. This I know. like It was the only thing that could just come out of my mouth. Prayer is a way to connect with God, and prayer is like having a conversation. How do you pray? She said, I listen. And then she was asked, and what does God say back? And she said, he listens. like just to be present. Many times, we need more space just to listen, even in our conversations about those close to us. Space matters. There are important messages in the space. If I talk like this, it sends a message. And if I talk like this, it sends a different message. Kathleen told me she heard a tip that whenever someone is talking, we should wait two beats before we answer. It would probably be a really good idea. So there's another example of where space matters that I was thinking of. And uh, you know, when I was in maybe grade school, I took two years of piano lessons. And and then I had one elective college course that was a piano class. And then I haven't done anything since until recently, when my sister gave me this keyboard. And uh, she had it sitting around the house, and I was kind of interested in taking it back up, and so she gave it to me. It's just a 66 one, not an 88 key. Um, but I was happy to have it. And so I thought I would play something for you, and I wanted to see if you can guess what it is. And it's a pretty familiar song. First one to guess it, I'll Buy You Coffee. I'll play it again. <laughs> this is actually how my granddaughter plays. <laughs> no, but there's a problem, isn't there? There's no there's no space or time in between the notes. That actually is all the notes of the song right there. <laughs> okay, so this the space and the time matters. It it creates or doesn't create uh, some kind of message, and. So I have another rendition of this song, okay? It goes like this. You'll get the next note next week. (laughs) In about a year, we'll see if you can guess the song. (laughs) Okay, maybe that's a little too much space, right? (laughs) Which is maybe sometimes true in relationships. Sometimes they have mm, too much closeness. (laughs) And sometimes they have not quite enough space. There's too much space and too much closeness, but to have the right amount of space means I can actually have a relationship. Okay, so uh, here's here's the song. Okay, I'm not very good because really, I mean, this really is about as good as it gets. And I bet you know this, when it slows down those last couple notes, I bet you know that means it's coming to an end, right? Like there's like, now if I play it up here, it might sound a little different, right? And if I play it this way, it may sound with a different message. the space matters. There's higher keys, there's lower keys, and some notes last longer than others. It sends a different message, creates a different meaning, different, different emotion. Maybe different images come to your mind. Maybe brings up different memories, different sensations, different experiences. In my counseling practice, there's an exercise that I do with people. Uh, usually in the beginning, is I have them list out their 10 best and their 10 worst events of their life. And we put it on a timeline. Uh, Five years, 10, 15, 20 years old, 25, 30, 35, 40, all the way up. And we we make this timeline, a little chart, and we put a dot. I ask them a question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how great are the good things? You know, 10 being the best and zero being none. So we put a dot. And then we plot the difficult events of life. And I go 1 to 10 again. How difficult were they, 10 being most difficult? And then we plot those on the lower part. And so we have this kind of chart that is kind of a way of creating a map for where to begin and what we want to look at. And, and I often find that you know, a lot of these events from the past the meaning we've attached to them is often something not true about my identity, like I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy and I have no voice and I'm not loved and I'm not valued. And so we go back and we revisit a lot of these events and we go right into the details of those events to find new meaning. And when I was doing one of these recently, I started looking at, like, the over, just the overall picture of what we were drawing, and I want to show it to you, but I want to know if you see what I see. What does it look like? Music. It looks like music. And I thought, oh my gosh, what if God is playing a song through our life with all the high notes and all the low notes? And I tried to play this, and maybe, Michael, you could help me with this sometime. (laughs) I'm not going to even try to demo it for you. And, you know, some of the high notes, in fact, the very first high note is at the very same time as the low note. And one of that very first very high note, I know you can't read the writing, um, but it was a spiritual awakening. And it came in my darkest moment. I was 21 years old at a place where I, my world was crashing and I didn't want to live and I was depressed and um, at the very same time I started picking up the word and reading it and it, I tell you its like the words jumped off the page and just shined right into my darkness in a way that love was like piercing the darkness. There's a number of things in there. Uh, the other high note was my wedding day bill. (laughs) Those two right after that are grandchildren. You see three really low notes down there that were three really dark bouts of depression that took me years to crawl out of. And I know that a lot of you in here have some really low notes in your life. And, you know, probably anyone over age 50 or 60, you kind of anticipate a lot more coming. Um, As I do. But I thought, what if God is writing a song that at the One day he's going to like reveal your song to you. I've always wanted a guy to like write write me a love song, you know, about our relationship. And I'm like, maybe he is. And what if we took like my song and Lynn's song and Steve's song and we strung them all together and it was like this one big song and we did that not only here but around the world and not only in this time but all the way through, all the way of history. And then it was like one big, massive, grand song. Wow. That would be amazing. So it's just one of those ways that's like personally, it was like a personal way of God speaking to me that, I can't show you a Bible verse on that. Um, maybe Peter could find one, but but uh, he's probably got some. Um, but I just thought, oh, that just felt so personal. Like, like throughout your daily life, God hasn't intimate relationship with you that will speak into you and your story and what he's doing and what he's up to and it could be in nature or driving a car or you know i don't know just i feel like he can speak through anything when our eyes are open to it so what we're going to do now right before we get ready for communion i'm going to have michael Hanna come up because he actually really can play <laughs> and um Oh, (laughs) thank you, Nick. (laughs) Um, So what I want to do is, this is going to be a reflection time for you to just reflect on what is God doing or has done in those empty places in your own life? What has he been carving away and exposing? What has it been like to sit in that silence or that space? And what has been birthed in you? What are new ways that you have been showing up in a way that really only God could do in you? So let's take this time to just reflect on that. Good Friday, Jesus went to the cross. And I think that was probably the lowest note in history. As he took on our suffering and entered into our suffering and our pain and our abuse and our trauma and our addiction and our uh, difficulty and our struggle, And then for three days, there was silence. Silent night. And then, on Easter, there was probably the highest note ever heard. (laughs) Or something like that. Um, As new life emerged, new life that couldn't be held down in the darkness. So... Today, as you come to communion, I want you to just bring yourself. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, "Taking eat, this is my body, broken for you. And he took the cup, and he poured it, saying, this is my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it. So come to the table and receive his life in you in the dark place and experience his new birth in you. place of suffering where you're crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or whether in you're that place of silence and uncertainty and no answers, may you find God in that space, which is called Easter, and uh, Merry Christmas, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.